State recognized presence of the jury and does the defense. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I hope you had a safe trip over. Hope all is well. Okay. Now, did you heed all my previous admonitions while we were absent from each other, not to read, watch, nor listen to any news accounts of this case? Not to discuss uh, this case with anyone. And last but not least, not to engage in any internet searches or any type of uh, social media type searches. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have been selected and sworn as the jury to try the case of the state of Florida versus Casey Marie Anthony. This is a criminal case. The defendant is charged with the crimes of first degree murder, aggravated child abuse, aggravated manslaughter of a child, and four counts of providing false information to a law enforcement officer. The definition of the elements of those crimes will be explained to you later. It is your solemn responsibility to determine if the state has proved its accusations beyond a reasonable doubt against the defendant. Your verdict must be based solely on the evidence or lack of evidence and the law. The indictment is not evidence and is not to be considered by you as any proof of guilt. It is the judge's responsibility to decide which laws apply to this case and to explain those laws to you. It is your responsibility to decide what the facts of this case may be and to apply the law to those facts. Thus, the province of the jury and the province of the court are well defined and they do not overlap. This is one of the fundamental principles of our system of justice. Before proceeding further, it would be helpful if you understand how a trial is conducted. At the beginning of the trial, attorneys will have an opportunity, if they wish, to make an opening statement. The opening statement gives the attorneys a chance to tell you what evidence they believe will be presented during the trial. What the lawyers say is not evidence, and you are not to consider it as such. Following opening statements, witnesses will be called to testify under oath. They will be examined and cross-examined by the attorneys. Documents and other exhibits also may be produced as evidence. After the evidence has been presented, the attorneys will have an opportunity to make their final arguments. Following arguments by the attorneys, the court will instruct you on the law applicable to the case. After the instructions are given, you will then retire to consider your verdict. You should not form any definite or fixed opinions on the merits of the case until you have heard all of the evidence, the argument of the lawyers, and the instructions on the law by the judge. Until that time, you should not discuss the case among yourselves. During the course of the trial, the court may take recesses. During these recesses, you will be permitted uh, to go back into the jury room and take care of some things there. 
During these recesses, you will not discuss the case with anyone nor permit anyone to say anything to you or in your presence about the case. If anyone attempts to say anything to you or in your presence about this case, tell that individual that you're on the jury trying the case and ask that individual to stop. If he or she persists, leave that individual at, at once and immediately report the matter to the court deputy who will advise me. The case must be tried by you only on the evidence presented during the trial in your presence, in the presence of the defendant, the attorneys, and the judge. Jurors must not conduct any investigation of their own. This includes reading newspapers, watching television, or using a computer, cell phone, the internet, any electronic device, or any other means at all to get information related to this case or the people or places described in this case. This applies whether you are in the courthouse, at home, or anywhere else. You must not visit any of the places mentioned in the trial or use the internet to look at maps or pictures to see any places discussed in the trial. Jurors must not have discussions of any sort with friends or family members about the case or the people and places involved. So do not let even the closest family members make comments to you or ask questions about the trial. In this age of electronic communications, I want to stress again that just as you must not talk about this case face to face, you must not talk about this case using an electronic device. You must not use phones, computers, or other electronic devices to communicate. Do not send or accept any messages related to this case or your jewelry service. Do not discuss this case or ask for advice by any means at all, including posting information on the internet website, chat room, or blog. In every criminal proceeding, a defendant has the absolute right to remain silent. At no time is it the duty of a defendant to prove her innocence. From the exercise of the defendant's right to remain silent, a jury is not permitted to draw any inference of guilt, and the fact that a defendant did not take the witness stand must not influence your verdict in any manner whatsoever. The attorneys are trained in the rules of evidence and trial procedure, and it is their duty to make all objections they feel are proper. When an objection is made, you should not speculate on the reason why it is made. Likewise, when an objection is sustained or upheld by me, you must not speculate on what might have occurred had the objection not been sustained, nor what a witness might have said had she, he, or she been permitted to answer. If you would like to take notes during the trial, you may do so. On the other hand, of course, you are not required to take notes if you do not want to. That will be left up to you individually. You will be provided with a notepad and a pen for use if you wish to take notes.
any notes that you take will be for your personal use. However, you should not take them with you from the courtroom. During recesses, the court deputy will take possession of your notes and will return them to you when we reconvene. After you have completed your deliberations, the court deputy will deliver your notes to me. They will be destroyed. No one will ever read your notes. If you take notes, do not get so involved in note taking that you become distracted from the other proceedings. Your notes should be used only as an aid to your memory. Whether or not you take notes, you should rely on your memory of the evidence and you should not be unduly influenced by the notes of other jurors. Notes are not entitled to any greater weight than each juror's memory of the evidence. Does the state care to make an opening statement at this time? Yes, you may proceed. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Orange County. As we have heard several times throughout the course of the jury selection proceedings, this is the case of the state of Florida versus Casey Marie Anthony. However, it is time to tell the story of a little girl named Kaylee. Eventually, at about 8 o'clock that night, somebody at the Anthony home, Cindy, you will hear from the testimony, contacts her son, Casey Anthony's older brother, Lee. Lee Anthony tries to find his sister based on some research he did on people's Facebook pages where he hears or reads or learns that his sister is going to be at a nightclub in downtown Orlando that night. So Lee Anthony gathers up his girlfriend or fiance, Mallory. And they go downtown, and Lee searches for Casey and can't find her. During this process, Lee Anthony had sent a message or called Annie Dowling, Downing, excuse me, one of Casey Anthony's friends, who alerted Casey Anthony that her brother was looking for her. Casey Anthony, you will hear, got herself out of downtown Orlando. Day 19, Friday, July 4th. Casey Anthony is perpetuating this lie her mother, that they're in Jacksonville. However, she tells her former fiance, Jesse Grund, that Kaylee's at SeaWorld with the nanny. 
You will hear from an individual by the name of Will Waters, a guy Casey met July 4th, 2008. That she was at his house planning a party for the 4th of July. And they went to Lake Eola, which is in downtown Orlando, where they have an annual 4th of July fireworks display. And he took a picture. Casey Anthony having a good time on the 4th of July of 2008. <coughs> Tony Lazaro comes home on day 20, Saturday, July 5th. Before he arrives, Casey Anthony is captured on video with Will Waters at an Ikea here in Orlando. No Kaylee Anthony. Is talking excitedly about the fact that her boyfriend Tony is coming back from New York. And goes to a place called Buffalo Wild Wings that night with Tony. In the meantime, she didn't forget to tell her mother that her car is now broken down in Jacksonville. And Jeffrey Hopkins is helping her get it fixed. And now we're not going to be back till July 12th. Another week. Buying time, the evidence will show. She tells Cindy that Kaylee Anthony is now staying with Jeffrey Hopkins' mother and Jeffrey Hopkins' son, Zachary. You will hear from Jeffrey Hopkins that none of that is true. So we go through day 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, no one knows where Kaylee is. And Casey Anthony is just gallivanting around Orlando, captured on video at Target, captured on video at a Bank of America eventually. And there's no Kaylee Anthony on any of these videos. So where is she? On Friday, July 11th, day 26, Casey Anthony's back at Fusion, a nightclub. On July 12th, day 27, Cindy is getting text messages from Casey that she's still in Jacksonville. She's really at a Winn-Dixie at 9.30 that night. Captured on video. Sunday, July 13th, which is now day 28. Casey Anthony.
Tiffany tells her mother that they had to stay longer past July 12th in Jacksonville because of a wedding. Jeff Hopkins' mother's wedding. And finally, we get to day 30. Tuesday, July 15th of 2008. You will hear that over the weekend, George and Cindy Anthony were doing some yard work and had noticed that a letter had been placed in the front door. They had to go to the post office to retrieve whatever this item was. George Anthony was unable to accomplish or take care of that errand on July 14th. So on July 15th, he goes to the post office, retrieves this letter, and it's from Johnson's right. Although Casey Anthony had exclusive possession of the white Pontiac Sunfire. The car was titled in George and Cindy Anthony's name. And so when it was towed to Johnson's Wrecker, the Wrecker company eventually sent a letter to the registered owners, George and Cindy Anthony, here's where your car is come get it, and bring cash. So George and Cindy Anthony drive to Johnson's Wrecker, and while Mrs. Anthony deals with the people at the front desk, George Anthony goes with an individual by the name of Simon Birch to retrieve the call. Along the way, George Anthony is telling Mr. Birch of these problems that the family is having, that he hasn't seen his granddaughter or his daughter for days. And as they approach the vehicle, an overwhelming smell is emanating from it. And it's coming from the trunk. George Anthony will tell you that he said a silent prayer, that it was neither his daughter or his granddaughter that he would find in the trunk of that car. Simon Birch, who you will learn, has spent many years in the tow business and has seen and heard and smelled just about everything associated with a car, <laughs> including 
when someone committed suicide in front, inside a car, and it's sad for days. So Simon Birch will give you his opinion based on this experience about what that smell was. And as that's going through his mind, and he hears George Anthony making these statements about his missing daughter and granddaughter, Simon Birch as well is hoping that they're not going to find a body in the trunk. And when the trunk is open, there's a bag of garbage inside. And you will hear that Simon Birch took that bag of garbage and threw it over a fence at Johnson's record and eventually placed it into a dumpster there. George Anthony got into that car drove it home. When Cynthia Anthony had her first contact with the car, her words to George Anthony were, Jesus, what died? At which point, her husband proceeded to tell her that there had been garbage. And <coughs> so George and Cindy Anthony go back to their house on Hope Spring Drive. Now, obviously, frustrated about the fact that car is not in Jacksonville, where Casey said she was with Caleb, and that it had been, they learned, at this tow yard since June 30th. So they knew she was lying. George Anthony had to be at work at 3 o'clock that afternoon. They put the car in the garage at their house to air out. Cindy Anthony goes back to work as well and is communicating about the smell to her co-workers. And they eventually convince her she needs to call the police. Cindy Anthony texts Casey Anthony about 4.30 that afternoon that there's a major problem, that she needs to contact her. In the meantime, while all this is going on with George and Cindy Anthony, Casey Anthony is happily in her friend Amy Heizenga's car because days earlier, Amy had taken a trip to Puerto Rico 
and now Casey has her car. And on July 15th in the afternoon, Casey Anthony makes an appointment for another tattoo, tells the guy at the tattoo place that she's gonna bring Kaylee in with her when she gets this tattoo. Is captured on a Bank of America surveillance video, cashing a check about 1.30. As she's driving to the airport, she speaks with a woman, a girl, a young lady, by the name of Erica Gonzalez. Gives Erica the impression that Kaylee's in the car with her. <clears throat> when she picks up Amy, she tells Amy that she got a call from Kaylee Anthony that day on her cell phone. And eventually, Amy Huizenga drops off Casey Anthony at her boyfriend, Tony Lazaro's apartment. Amy Huizenga, you will hear from the testimony, goes with friends of hers in her car to the Florida Mall. And Cindy Anthony is at home, trying to figure out a way to get in touch with Casey Anthony. And so she goes through items that were left in the car. Kaylee's car seat was in the car. Casey Anthony's shoes are in the car. Some clothes are in the car. There are dryer sheets in the car. There are items in the trunk, in a bin in the car. There is a bag that Cindy Anthony thought Casey used for work. And in that bag is contact information for Amy Huizenga, who Cindy Anthony never met. So Cindy Anthony calls Amy Huizenga and asks if she's seen Casey or Kaylee. Well, Amy just saw Casey. She knows exactly where she is. And even though the two had never met, Cindy Anthony on that day on July 15th of 2008 is not going to be denied access to her granddaughter to the point where she is tracking down her daughter Casey's friends. Despite some hesitation, and because of the sound in Cindy Anthony's voice, Amy Huizenga agrees to allow Cindy Anthony to come pick her up at the Florida Mall. And Cindy Anthony drives down there, gets Amy in the car, is telling her all about what's been going on. 
and Amy directs Cindy Anthony to Tony Lazaro's apartment. Amy goes up to the door with Cindy behind her, knocks on it, and gets Casey Anthony out of there. Kaylee Anthony's not there. Where's Kaylee Anthony? You will hear that Cindy Anthony basically pulls Casey out of there without her phone, without her belongings, and she gets in the car. They drop Amy off, and at this point, Cindy Anthony is not going to be denied access to her granddaughter, who has now been gone for a month. Casey Anthony tries the same old Zanny story with Cindy, but Cindy Anthony will not be denied access to her granddaughter. And since Casey Anthony is stonewalling, telling her mother she doesn't want to upset Kaylee, she doesn't want to disrupt this routine that she's now in, Kaylee's going to be upset, Cindy has had enough, and decides that the only way I am going to get access to my granddaughter is to get the police involved. So she drives Casey Anthony in her car to a substation of the Orlando Police Department, which at that time of the night is closed, and makes her first 911 call from her car, <coughs> from the parking lot of that Orlando Police Department substation. During the course of this trial, you will hear that first call that Cindy Anthony made to the Orlando Police Department. She wants her daughter arrested. The dispatcher from the Orlando Police Department is trying to determine if there is a crime that's been committed and where that crime has occurred. So in making this inquiry, it is determined that the address on Hope Spring Drive where the Anthonys live is actually within the jurisdiction of the Orange County Sheriff, not the Orlando Police Department. And they give Cindy Anthony a choice about whether or not she wants to wait on the side of the road for a deputy to show up or go back to her house and make another call, and she chooses the latter. During this exchange, and while there is some dead air between the dispatcher and Cindy Anthony, you can hear Cindy Anthony 
threatening to take Kaylee away from Casey. And Casey Anthony asked him what would it. You will learn that during this exchange, George Anthony, who's been apprised of some of this, not all of it, some of it, calls Lee Anthony, Casey's older brother, and says, you need to get to the house. So Lee Anthony, who lives in the area, arrives at the house on Hope Spring Drive just before Cindy and Casey Anthony. And as they pull up, they get out, they rush in, he gets no information. There's the car in the garage. He notices himself that there is an overpowering smell, indescribable smell associated with that car. And as they all rush in the house, Cindy Anthony basically tells Lee to get information from your sister. She's not telling me anything. I want her to take me to Kaylee now. Shortly thereafter, Cindy Anthony makes her second 911 call, which you will hear. This time, it goes to the Orange County Sheriff's Office. And she again talks about having her daughter arrested and mentions at that time a possible missing three-year-old. The dispatcher in trying to get some information elicits from Cindy Anthony that her daughter, Casey, will not tell her where Kaylee is. So when patrol units of the Orange County Sheriff's Office are initially dispatched to this call, they're unsure whether or not this is a stolen vehicle call, is this a, some other theft call, is this a domestic incident? Because while Cindy Anthony is waiting, and it does take a while, for the sheriff's office to arrive based on the priority levels that they give calls. Lee Anthony is talking to Casey Anthony, who is now in her room. And Lee Anthony is trying to convince Casey Anthony to just take mom, Cindy, to Kaylee. What's the problem? This is going to happen anyway. Why are you doing this? To the point where Lee Anthony eventually engages in what can only be termed as a role-playing 
episode with his sister. Where Lee Anthony pretends to be the police officer and says, Miss Anthony, good evening. I see that you're having a problem here with your mother. Why don't we just resolve this? You take us to the child and everything will be fine. We'll all go home. We'll all be happy. <clears throat> Let's stop for a moment. Been going for about an hour and a half. Let jurors take a break. We're gonna take a recess. Okay. Okay, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we're gonna take a 15-minute recess at this time. I'm gonna ask you not to discuss this case among yourselves nor with anyone else. Please remember all of my previous admonitions. We'll be in recess uh, for 15 minutes. Okay, state recognized persons jury. That's the defense. Members of the jury, did you heed all my previous admonitions? Ms. Uh, Burdick, you may continue. At the break, we were speaking of Lee Anthony's efforts to convince his sister Casey of her need to just tell Cindy, their mother, where Kaylee Anthony was. That resisting, fighting, just not giving the information was counterproductive and would ultimately result in the same ending regardless that whether or not Casey did it, or Lee did it, or the police did it, that they were all going to see Kaylee that night. However, in a pattern that is repeated throughout this case, when Casey Anthony's lie can no longer stand. When she can't get out of the corner that she has painted herself into. When her back is up against the wall and when the stakes increase, what does Casey Anthony do? What does she do? Casey Anthony comes up with a new, a bigger, and a better lie. It is at this point, with her back against the wall, with her brother telling her that the result of this disagreement that you are having with our mother will end in our mother's favor, that Casey Anthony first says these words, Kaylee was kidnapped by the babysitter. The babysitter that nobody 
has ever seen, that nobody ever saw, that her parents didn't know, that her brother had never heard of. Kaylee has been kidnapped by Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez. And upon hearing this information, all Kaylee's Uncle Lee could think of was nothing. He goes into vapor lock. He can't believe his ears. He has to focus now on solving this problem. And even though Cindy Anthony, the evidence will show, had to realize that her daughter had lied and lied and lied and lied for 31 days about where she was, about where Kaylee was, about what they were doing. At that moment, Cindy Anthony had to believe her daughter. Although her first response, according to the testimony that you'll hear from Lee Anthony, is, what did you do? Her first response directed at Casey Anthony, what did you do? And at that point, this story the evidence will show, had its desired effect to take the focus off of Casey Anthony. Her mother was in her face. Her brother is in her face. How do you get out of that? You tell another lie. Cindy Anthony goes into an all-out panic. At this point, 911 again, the third time on the phone, and you will hear Cindy Anthony's panic 911 call to the Orange County Sheriff, the third call she made that day. And this time she is hysterical. Cindy Anthony wants Casey Anthony to speak to the dispatcher on the phone. You can hear the exchange, and then you can hear Casey Anthony get on the phone like nothing. With the attitude, well, why do you people want to talk to me? I don't want to talk to them. During this call, Cindy Anthony tells the dispatcher from the Orange County Sheriff's Office that her granddaughter was kidnapped. I cannot find my granddaughter. Something is wrong. It smells like there's been a dead body in the damn car. As you will learn, as this trial unfolds, the Orange County Sheriff's Office, as do all police agencies, keep a almost second-by-second second accounting 
of their response to a call. You will learn that the first officer that arrived at the Anthony residence was Corporal Rendon Fletcher. Now, Corporal Fletcher's dispatch was to the second call. So he's not completely apprised until he gets there of the seriousness of this call. Eventually, after learning from Lee Anthony and Cindy Anthony and Casey Anthony in the home that Kaylee is missing and this Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez has Kaylee, the Orange County Sheriff's Office begins to gather information about locating this person. And one of the things that is told to them by Casey Anthony is that Zanny or Zenaida lives at the Sawgrass Apartments, which is off of Conway Road in Orlando. So deputies with the Orange County Sheriff's Office ask Casey to show them the last place she saw her daughter 31 days ago. And she gets into the car with Adriana Acevedo, a deputy with the Orange County Sheriff. Brendan Fletcher, the corporal that first responded to the call, follows in case he needs to do follow-up with the people <laughs> at the Sawgrass Apartments. And they drive in to the location at the direction of Casey Anthony. She points out the apartment where she last saw her daughter, Kaylee, and says, that's where I dropped Kaylee off on June 9th, 2008. Rendon Fletcher finds somebody with this apartment complex, somebody in management or maintenance, and it's determined that while this is July, now 16th probably, 2008, Nobody's lived in that apartment since February 2008. The prior occupants were evicted. So when these deputies from the Orange County Sheriff's Office returned to the Anthony home with Casey and no Kaylee, What does Cindy Anthony do? She continues to insist that something be done. That Casey is lying, that somebody needs to arrest her. She needs to tell me where Kaylee is. During this process, deputies send somebody to Tony Lazaro's apartment where Casey's cell phone was. 
and her belongings were later retrieved by her brother, who went to the apartment. Keely Anthony was not there either. One of the things that Casey Anthony told them had to do with having contact information for this Zanny person in her phone. So the deputies retrieve that phone and attempt to get any information that night off of it that they can in an effort to find this person who allegedly has Casey Anthony's daughter, Kaylee. They ask Casey Anthony to put pen and paper. Tell us everything that you can tell us about what happened and about this person that you say kidnapped your daughter. They were there to help find Kaylee Anthony. So what does the evidence show Casey Anthony did? at the first opportunity given to her to put pen to paper? She writes, on Monday, June 9th, 2008, between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m., I, Casey Anthony, took my daughter, Kaylee Marie Anthony, to her nanny's apartment. June 9th. On Monday, June 9th, 2008, the first words written to the Orange County Sheriff about the disappearance of Kaylee Anthony are a lie. This statement is single-spaced, four pages, and during the course of this trial, you have the opportunity to review it, and you will see that it's four pages of lies. The patrol supervisors at the scene of the Anthony's that morning, July 16th, now 2008, decided that they needed to call a detective out to the house to follow up in this investigation, to tell the detective what their findings were, at least preliminarily. While they're waiting for the arrival of the detective, the sergeant on the scene, Reginald Cozy, took Casey Anthony on a short walk. There's a cul-de-sac that is two or three houses down from her residence and asked her, you know, is this a, a domestic situation? Is it, is it just a matter of you don't want your mom to have access to your child. 
And Detective Hosey is left with the impression from Casey Anthony that night that this is no big deal. And that our child is fine. At four o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, July 16th, Detective Yuri Melich, the Orange County Sheriff's Office, first arrives at the Anthony House. He gets a copy, or he reviews that handwritten statement of Casey Anthony, and he asks to speak with her. She talks with him in a room in the house. He ultimately tape records their conversation, and he says, is this is this true? Do you want to change anything on this statement? And Casey Anthony says, no, sir, no way. This is what happened. I'm telling you the truth. One of the things that she had relayed to the Orange County Sheriff's Office was that she had a phone, another phone, that was lost at Universal Studios where she worked, that there were people who were employees of Universal Studios who she had told about this situation. Detective Melich again asked if Casey Anthony could take him to the location where she says she last saw her daughter at the Sawgrass Apartments and she takes him right back to that same place where she took the patrol officers. He asks if there are other people related to this Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez that he could contact in an effort to locate Kaylee Anthony. She takes him in the area of another residence, supposedly of Zenaida Gonzalez's mother. No one is contacted, nobody is found. They return to the Hope Spring house with no Kaylee. Casey Anthony goes back in her house <laughs> and Yuri Melich begins his investigation. <clears throat> and that investigation begins at Universal Studios. Yuri Melich contacts a employee of Universal Studios by the name of Leonard Tutura in an effort to determine where Casey Anthony works, where these other people that she said can be contacted work, how they can be contacted. And Detective Melich learns Casey Anthony doesn't work at Universal Studios. Casey Anthony hasn't worked at Universal Studios for years. These people that she told you were here, they don't work here. So Detective Melich, with the assistance of his supervisor, Sergeant John Allen, and another detective by the name of Abby Wells, 
make contact with Casey. The first contact is made by Detective Melitjo Lufal, where he calls Casey Anthony and says, you work at Universal Studios and this is the information verifying what she had told him before. She's like, yes, absolutely, of course. Yes, you're right, that's it. He knows it's a lie. Maybe they all have it wrong. Maybe if Casey comes out to Universal Studios, we can clear this all up. Maybe we're not getting the names right. Maybe I wrote it down wrong. And she is contacted and agrees to come out to Universal Studios. So Detective Melich is there with Leonard Tutora and John Allen and Appy Wells go to the Anthony house, pick up Casey Anthony, and she accompanies them to Universal Studios. She directs them to park, just has idle chit chat with them on the way, and they get to the security gate at Universal Studios, and she's denied access. They're suggesting she doesn't work here. They ask her for her identification. She tells them, I forgot it, I, didn't, I don't have it. Leonard Tutura, who's there with Yuri Melich, allows them to come in anyway. And there, Casey Anthony is supposed to show them the office where she works and where she lost her phone or where there might be some information about Zenaida Gonzalez. And you will hear testimony that Casey Anthony walks with purpose through that security gate and heads towards an administration building, walks in and true to what we've seen or you will see, during this case is at the end of the hall. And she puts her hands in her back pocket and smiles. All right, I don't work here. Detectives Allen. Wells and Melich then speak with Casey Anthony on tape in a conference room at Universal Studios where she admits to them that she's been lying to them about working at Universal. Because that's the lie the evidence will show they caught her in. But she will not waver at that point from her story about the, the nail. So in an effort to find this person she insists exists, the detectives take her from Universal and show her pictures in the driver's license database of individuals with the name Zanida Gonzalez. 
She doesn't know any of that. None of these Zenaida Gonzalez's on your driver's license pictures are my Zenaida Gonzalez. At this point, since Casey Anthony admitted to them that she lied during the process of this investigation, she was arrested. And at this point, the investigation, by necessity, takes two different paths. There is the investigation that continued into attempting to locate this person that Casey Anthony insisted had her daughter, this Zenaida Gonzalez. There were tips and phone calls and sightings of Kaylee Anthony all across the country, on airplanes, in, on, in gas stations, all, all over the place. Tips that were followed up by members of the Orange County Sheriff's Office, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, local police agencies in different states know Kaylee Anthony and knows Zenaida Gonzalez. That night, July 16th of 2008, with the permission of George and Cindy Anthony, the Orange County Sheriff's Office seized Casey Anthony's white Pontiac Sunfire. And you will hear testimony from crime scene technicians and ultimately the individuals who evaluated and analyzed evidence taken from that truck during the course of this trial. You will also hear that the trash bag that Simon Birch had thrown out of the car the day before when George Anthony picked up the Sunfire at the Johnson Wrecker, was located in the dumpster when George Anthony went with a missing persons civilian investigator to find it. Was there something in that garbage that would help the Orange County Sheriff's Office find his granddaughter? George Anthony wanted to know. On Thursday, July 17th, the Orange County Sheriff's Office had one of their cadaver dogs, which you will hear during the course of this trial is a dog that is specially trained in detecting the scent of human remains. Do a sweep around the car. 
Deputy Jason Forgey, who has many years of experience in handling police canines and who has worked with his dog, Garris, prior to Garris's recent retirement for a long period of time. Took the dog around the car, at which point Garris alerted give a trained final alert, which will be explained to you, on the trunk of the car as having the odor of human remains. Later that day, Garris was taken to the Anthony residence where, again, George and Cindy Anthony had given permission to the members of the Orange County Sheriff's Office to look in their yard to see if there was any evidence that would help them learn what happened to Kaylee. Where was Kaylee? And then again, in the backyard, near Kaylee's playhouse, Garris alerted to the odor of human decomposition. Deputy Forgey had asked that another canine handler, this one from the Osceola County Sheriff's Office, Kristen Brewer, Sergeant Brewer, brought her cadaver dog to the Anthony home. And her cadaver dog also alerted to the owner of human decomposition near the playhouse in the Anthony's backyard. Now you hear that crime scene technicians dug up in the areas where the dogs alerted did not find Kaylee. Evidence from the car was also preserved. Hair air samples, samples from the carpet lining the trunk, samples from the spare tire cover were cut and collected in tin cans by members of the Orange County Sheriff's Office. Samples of Casey Anthony's DNA, Lee Anthony's DNA, Cindy and George Anthony's DNA, and a hairbrush that was used by Kaylee to get a sample of her DNA was obtained. The hair and other debris collected from Casey Anthony's Pontiac Sunfire was sent to the Federal Bureau of Investigations Laboratory in Quantico, Virginia. And you will hear that the evidence and testimony in this case establishes that forensic science has discovered that there is a distinctive band of discoloration 
that occurs at the root end of a hair under very specific and unique circumstances. According to these scientific studies, you will hear this artifact occurs only and has only been seen in hairs taken from decomposing human bodies. Of the many hairs that were found in the trunk of the Sunfire, one hair exhibited the classic characteristics that I just described. This supports the prior investigative findings, not only as it relates to the alerts by the trained cadaver dogs, but also the ability of those people who have smelled a dead body before to know what it is. These findings led to the inescapable conclusion that, in fact, a dead body had been in the trunk of Casey Anthony's car. And you will learn that the FBI compared the hair that I just described to hair collected from Kaylee Anthony's hairbrush through the use of mitochondrial DNA, which will be explained during the course of the trial, as well as microscopic analysis and determined through the unique characteristics of the hair that they were indistinguishable from those of Kaylee Anthony. The testimony in this case regarding the analysis of this hair will convince you that it was the hair of Kaylee Marie Anthony that was found in that trunk. Nevertheless, in order to further establish the nature of the odor emanating from Casey Anthony's trunk at that point, the Orange County Sheriff's Office contacted an individual who is the leading expert in the field of the biochemistry of the odor of human decomposition. That individual, Arpad Voss, Dr. Arpad Voss, will be testifying for you during this trial. And in 20 years of studying the chemistry of the odor of decomposition, he has spent the last 10 concentrating on identifying the chemical composition of the very distinctive odor of decomposition of human decomposition. Dr. Voss will tell you that when he opened this can that was collected by the Orange County Sheriff's Office that contained samples of the spare tire cover in the trunk of Casey Anthony's car, he immediately recognized the unmistakable odor of human decomposition. Now you will learn that his research and others' research into this area is ongoing. And he will tell you about the instrumental analysis that he performed on the odor from the substance, from this piece of spare tire cover taken from the trunk of Casey Anthony's car. What you will learn is that these compounds are consistent with a decompositional event occurring in the trunk of the car, possibly of human origin. But Dr. Voss will also tell you that during his analysis of those pieces of spare tire cover, 
that he found something unexpected. His instrumental analysis found the highest concentration of chloroform that he's ever seen. And while he will tell you that small amounts of chloroform have been found in human decomposition under specific circumstances, his analysis of the evidence in this case showed a concentration of chloroform thousands of times greater than he had seen produced by human decomposition alone. The amount that he detected simply cannot be accounted for by human decomposition alone. You also hear that different sections of this same spare tire uh, cover, the samples from it were in sent to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, Crime Laboratory, and they independently confirmed through separate analysis the presence of chloroform. Upon receipt of this information, the Orange County Sheriff's Office detectives contacted the forensic computer analysts with their agency. You will learn that of the items collected from the Anthony household, one was a desktop computer. The hard drive from that desktop computer had been in the possession of the Orange County Sheriff's Office since July 16th or 17th of 2008. And when this information was passed along to these examiners, uh, based on Dr. Voss's findings, which occurred at the end of August or beginning of September of 2008, <coughs> the computer analysts were asked to perform a keyword search of the hard drive of that desktop computer for the word chloroform. And you will hear, in this case, testimony from Sandra Osborne, who is a forensic computer examiner, that her analysis of the computer revealed searches on March 17th and March 21st of 2008. What you will hear is that internet searches were conducted by a user in the Anthony home using Google. You will hear that on Monday, March 17th of 2008, between 1.43 and 1.55 in the afternoon, Google searches were done on that computer for the words chloroform, alcohol, acetone, and peroxide. You will hear that on Friday, March 21st, 2008, between the hours of 2.16 and 2.28 p.m., Google searches were conducted for, quote, how to make chloroform, quote, how to make chloroform with a different spelling, quote, self-defense, quote, household weapons, quote, neck breaking, quote, shovel, 
In addition to those Google searches, there were Wikipedia searches conducted on March 17, 2008, between the hours of 1.53 and 1.58 p.m. for the words inhalation, chloroform, alcohol, acetone, peroxide, hydrogen peroxide, and death. On Friday, March 23rd, excuse me, Friday, March 21st, 2008, between 2.16 and 2.28 p.m., a Wikipedia search was done for the word shovel. Also on that date, there were searches using websites blogspot.com, scispot.com, druglibrary.org, instructables.com, for these words, quote, making weapons out of household products, quote, chloroform habit, quote, chloroform, quote, how to make chloroform, and quote, chloro two. You will learn that Cindy Anthony was working on those days and at those times. You will learn on March 21st, George Anthony was working on those days and at those times. And you will learn from the forensic computer examiners that the context Searches surrounding before and after these searches were done on that laptop, excuse me, on that desktop computer at the Anthony home reveal that there could have been no other user making those searches than Casey Anthony. You will hear that despite the mounting evidence that made it more and more obvious as we got into September of 2008 that Kaylee Anthony was dead, that the Orange County Sheriff's Office and many thousands of private citizens continued to search for her. These search efforts you will hear in many areas were hampered by the passage of time and standing water that was created by Tropical, Tropical Storm Bay in late August of 2008. Many additional attempts were made to locate this Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez. She's never been seen. George and Cindy Anthony held out hope that their precious granddaughter would be found alive. However, on a rainy Thursday morning, December 11th, 2008, the Orange County Sheriff's Office received a call from a dispatcher at Orange County Utilities. The Sheriff's Office at that time was informed that a tiny human skull had been found in the woods off of Suburban Drive. This was in walking distance of Kaylee's home and within sight of the elementary school where she would be at this very moment if she were alive. 
Examination of that scene revealed that the body of Kaylee Marie Anthony had been wrapped in a Winnie the Pooh blanket, stuffed into multiple garbage bags, shoved into a laundry bag, and thrown into a littered swamp like she was just another piece of trash. A forensic anthropologist will describe to you that all that remained of Kaylee Anthony were her scattered bones, remnants of the clothes that she was wearing, and pieces of the plastic bags that had entombed her. For 10 days, crime scene personnel from the Orange County Sheriff's Office, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation painstakingly worked on their hands and knees, sifting, digging, re-sifting, collecting evidence, and collecting the remains of Kaylee Anthony to ensure to make certain that she would no longer suffer the indignity of lying in a wooden swamp. The evidence, by its very appearance, and you will see hundreds of the thousands of photographs taken in this case, and by its very appearance, you will be able to conclude that Kaylee spent many months in that swamp. Roots encircled the blanket, grew through the blanket. They encircled her hair. They wrapped themselves into the bags that she was in. <coughs> As you have seen in the photograph, taken at the scene on December 11th of 2008, duct tape covered the nose and mouth area of that tiny human skull. The cotton and polyester backing of that duct tape was disintegrating in the harsh environment in which she lay. You will learn that three pieces of overlapping duct tape covered the nose and mouth of Kaylee Anthony. You will learn that the duct tape was placed on her prior to decomposition as it held the mandible or the jaw to the head. You will learn that the duct tape was stuck in the hair, indicating that Kaylee's killer never intended that it be removed. You will learn that the brand and style of the duct tape are distinctive and not widely available. You will learn that the Orange County Sheriff's Office executed a search warrant on the Anthony residence late in the evening of December 11th of 2008 and discovered that the gas cans that Casey Anthony took from her dad on June 23rd of 2008 had a piece of duct tape identical in appearance to the tape covering Kaylee's nose and mouth. You will learn that a chemist 
from the Federal Bureau of Investigation determined that the tape was manufactured at the same time using the same methods. You will learn that the duct tape, identical in appearance to that on Kaylee Anthony's face, was used at the end of July on a missing <coughs> child poster of Kaylee Anthony. You will hear that the pieces of shirt that remained and the plastic logo that once appeared on that shirt, Big Trouble comes in small packages, were captured in photos of Kaylee and Casey Anthony taken in January and March of 2008. You will learn that Kaylee's Winnie the Pooh blanket was missing from her house. You will learn that a Whitney designed laundry bag was located in the, in the garage of the Anthony home and the matching bag was missing from the house. You will learn that upon autopsy, there was no evidence of any trauma to Kaylee's bones. And you will learn that the only evidence indicating the cause of death of Kaylee Marie Anthony are the three pieces of duct tape covering her nose and mouth. The evidence in this case will establish that there is no other reason for the placement of multiple pieces of duct tape on this child's face, mouth, and nose other than the specific intent to end that child's life. As difficult as it may be for anyone to accept that a mother would intentionally kill her own child, from the evidence that you will hear in this case, there is no other conclusion that can be drawn. Kaylee Marie Anthony was not kidnapped by a nanny or any other person. No one but Casey Anthony had access to all the pieces of evidence in this case. The duct tape, the laundry bag, the blanket, the shorts, the shirt, the car. No one else lied to their friends, to their family, to investigators. No one else benefited from the death of Kaylee Marie Anthony. Kaylee's death allowed Casey Anthony to live the good life, at least for those 31 days. At the end of this case, you will have no trouble concluding that Kaylee Anthony was murdered by her mother, Casey Anthony. And at the conclusion of all of the evidence and argument in this case, we will be asking you to return a verdict that reflects the truth of what happened to Kaylee Anthony.
and that is that Casey Anthony is guilty of the crime of murder in the first degree. Thank you all for your attention.